You are listening to the Bellator Christi Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. All right, today we're going to be in the book, back in the book of Acts, chapter 23. Uh, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. We're going to look at a lot of scripture, but we're really going to just focus our attention on two verses, Acts chapter 23, verses 10 and 11. And we're going to ask everyone, if you will, please stand as we pay honor to the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. Now, I want to give you a backdrop because the last time we left, the last time we met together, we were talking about this message that Paul gave to the Ephesian elders. A lot has happened between there and chapter 23. Paul has set his course to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has told him he needs to go to Jerusalem. He was taking up this love offering for the people in Jerusalem, taking it to the poor there in the area. And there's this prophet named Agabus who told Paul, he warned him and saying, that, uh, that there would be trouble over in Jerusalem. Expect, expect trouble to be bound, even you know, hands and feet, to be tied up. And, and uh, that there would be problems. And, and the Lord was giving Paul a warning there in that. Uh, but we see that Paul makes his way to Jerusalem. Uh, as he's there, there's a riot that takes place. And so Paul finds himself in the Sanhedrin. And there are two groups of individuals in the Sanhedrin. The Sadducees who don't believe in spirits or angels or don't even believe in all the Old Testament. They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And Paul, who pleads his case to the Pharisees, the Pharisees on the other side, uh, who believe in angels and spirits and the resurrection of the dead and all these things and all of the Old Testament. Well, as Paul was talking about the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead, there's a fight that breaks out between the Sadducees and Pharisees. And Paul is nearly almost ripped apart because of this fight that takes place in the Sanhedrin. And so the Romans actually intervene, because Paul is a Roman citizen, and they take him to his jail cell. He's been, he's been arrested. They take him to his jail cell. And that night we come across uh, Acts chapter 23, verses 10 and 11. When there rose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. But the following night, the Lord Jesus stood by him. Jesus stood before the resurrected Jesus, stood by Paul and said, Be of good cheer, or take courage, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so also you must bear witness for me at Rome. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. Lord, we just ask, Lord, that your spirit would work through me this morning, allowing me to say the things that need to be spoken and holding back anything that doesn't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our heart that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in the name of Jesus we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. A philosophy professor was teaching a course in college and he was talking about the uh, importance of understanding that there are moral truths that apply to everybody across every, every generation, across every society. And there was this one student, a star student, who had made an A in everything, who said, says, Teacher, I'm a relativist. I believe that, that uh, morality is up to the individual. 
In other words, I don't think that you can say anything is really right or anything is really wrong. And the professor said, well, okay, well, what about Nazi Germany? Hitler killed 11 million people. Would you not say that that was wrong? And he says, well, as much as I don't like it, I don't think I can really say that that was wrong. So the professor was going to put his belief to the test. That they came and there was a final essay taken and, and the student aced the entire course. But at the end of the course, the teacher gave the student an F. And the student stormed in his office and he says, I want an answer. Why did you give me an F? He says, well, I just changed my mind to say that every paper you write should have been in purple ink. And any paper not written in purple ink by you deserves an F. He said, that's not fair. That is absolutely wrong. I'm going to take this to the dean of the school. I demand an A because I earned an A. The teacher says, I guess you're not really a relativist after all. I guess you do believe that there are some things that are right and wrong. So he says, son, you passed the course with flying color. I'll give you an A. Well, the student didn't know what to think about after that because here this professor had just really put him in his place. But I give this little story to bring, bring about an, an, another application. We say we have faith. We say we have faith. We, we say, I trust Jesus. But why is it so many times that when we're met with uncertainties, when we're met with difficulties in life, we begin to question that faith? Anybody been there? I believe you, me. I, I've been there. I've been there. Faith, we say we have faith. Faith is a trust and a dependency upon a holy God. It's a trust and dependency that God is going to do the right thing. It doesn't mean that we're going to understand why things happen certain ways, but it just simply means that we're going to trust God to do what is right. So in this passage of Scripture, I believe that we see four ways that we can trust God in the uncertainties of life, which is the title of this message, Trusting God in the Uncertainties of Life. Paul found himself in a situation where the Spirit had led him to Jerusalem. But there were many uncertainties that he was facing. And we're going to look at a lot of Scripture today. Just as we're doing on Wednesday nights, I told the Bible study uh, group, I, I'm, I'm a guy, I'm a little OCD. If I start something, I've got to finish it. So as we started Acts, we're going to finish it. We started Ezekiel, we're going to finish it. We may have to take a, an airplane aerial view over some of the passages of Scripture so that we can. But uh, we're, going to, we're going to get to uh, the, the final chapter, actually, believe it or not, today by looking at the Scripture. But there are four ways that we can trust God in the uncertainties of life. Number one... We need to trust God in the uncertainty of our trials. Believe you me, you have, you'll hear a lot of people say, well, come to know Jesus, and when you become a Christian, everything will be easy after that. Anyone ever heard someone say that on television, especially television? You come to know Jesus, and everything will be sunshine and roses. But is that the case? The Bible never says that. Jesus actually says, take up your cross and follow me. It would be the same thing as saying, take up your electric chair and follow me. Not that a person was trying to hurt their self, but simply put, that when you follow Jesus, there are going to be trials and tribulations that are going to come your way if you're going to stand for Jesus. Now understand, Paul was merely bringing an offering to Israel, to Jerusalem, for the poor. And he found himself... He found himself in three particular trials. First of all, Paul was met with the uncertainty uh, of trials surrounding a riot in the temple. He had come taking money that he had collected from the churches in Asia Minor to Jerusalem, to the poor in Jerusalem. 
And there he was simply worshiping in the temple. And someone saw him and they knew him. Oh, this was that Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul, Paul was a very educated man. He was on the track of becoming a member of the Sanhedrin. And one of those guys, maybe he ruffled that guy's feathers, I don't know. But this guy stirred up a riot against Paul. And the whole town of Jerusalem was coming after Paul and actually grabbed Paul, drug him outside the city gates, getting ready to kill him. If it hadn't been actually, ironically, for a Roman soldier there, uh, he would have been killed at that day and time. But Paul uh, found the sovereignty of God working in his favor uh, because it wasn't his time just yet. Secondly, Paul stood trial in the Sanhedrin. The Pharisees sided with Paul. The Sadducees didn't. And so instead of coming after Paul, they were going after one another. And you had almost like this tug of war saying, we want him. No, we want him. They're, they're pulling at both sides of Paul. And again, the Romans actually came in, stepped in to save Paul from certain death. If you follow chapter 23, Paul's nephew hears of a plot to kill Paul. And so the Romans actually again take Paul off to this maritime prison where he stays in a the prison. There, he, sees, uh, there, there he's, he continues the path that God has for them. But the thing I'm just trying to simply say in all this, that we have to remember that God told Paul the direction he must go, but he didn't give him all the details, did he? Does God always give us every one of the details of life? Oh, I wish He did. I'm a planner. It'd be so nice. I've mentioned this before and I'll mention it again. It'd be so nice if God sent an email say, ex saying, expect this, this, and this to happen today, and you need to do that, that, and that. That would make life so much easier, wouldn't it? Or to say, you know, to plot your course, go this direction, and expect this, 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 and this happen. It'd be so nice if it worked that way. But... Where would the faith be in that? You see, faith is a trust and a dependency upon someone. Biblical faith means that we trust God to do what is right, either for us or we trust God to do what is right in the end. We may not understand everything that's going to come, but we're going to trust God no matter what trial, no matter what circumstance comes our way. Faith is not the belief that bad things won't come, but rather faith is the trust that God will do what is right when trials do come. That is what biblical faith is all about. I heard, a, I read in Our Daily Bread, an article in Our Daily Bread devotional about a lady who spoke of the peace her sister had. Her sister's husband was the only one working in the family and the husband lost his job, the only source of income. And this lady, who is usually a worry wart, do we have any worry warts in here? <laughs> I am one. <laughs> I can, I can identify with that. But this lady was a worry wart. And she said, you know, she should have been concerned, but she prayed about this and the Spirit of God came upon her and gave her a peace that everything was going to be okay. She didn't know how and she didn't know why, but she knew that God was leading and God was directing and if God was in it, everything was going to be okay. And that's the same thing we have to remember. That's what faith is all about. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be met with uncertainties. It doesn't always mean that God's always going to make sense to us. But what we have to do is remember the things we know about God when we, we go through things that we don't understand and place our trust and dependency upon Him, realizing that He is going to do what's right. Secondly, trusting God 
also requires trusting Him in the uncertainty of testifying. Anybody ever get a little nervous when you tell someone about the gospel? (laughs) I do. I'll be the first to admit, and I'm a preacher. You know, the reason is, we don't know how that person's going to respond. You tell someone about Jesus, you don't know what type of response you're going to get. I mean, I, I can talk about my Green Bay Packers any time and not feel any, any antsiness or anything, any anxiety that much, unless I'm talking to a person from Chicago, and then I get a little antsy, you know. But I can talk about my Green Bay Packers any day, but all the time, and don't feel that. But it, you mentioned the name of Jesus, you mentioned the gospel, we get a little anxious, don't we? Because we don't know how people are going to respond. Paul gave his testimony to the crowd in Jerusalem. He didn't know how they were going to respond, and they didn't respond well. There was a riot that broke out. But Paul also shared his testimony and the gospel with Roman officials, such as Felix and King Agrippa. And King Agrippa in Acts 26, 28 says, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. He said that to Paul. So the fact is, you don't know how people are going to respond to the gospel message. And we have to trust that God is going to move us and place us in situations where we need to be. And we have to understand that God is going to place people in our lives at the right moment and the right time. Anybody ever experienced that? Where God just placed the right person at the right moment and the right time for your life? To give a word of encouragement that just spurred you on and did great things in your life. That's what God does. A person will never know just how that person will respond. But here's the great truth I've learned going through the book of Ezekiel. You're not responsible for how someone responds. You're simply responsible for getting the message out there. Amen? And in fact, we were talking about this last Wednesday night. Ezekiel 18. If you haven't read Ezekiel 18, after service, you need to go pick up your Bible and read Ezekiel 18. That is a powerful passage of Scripture. And that passage of Scripture says that we are ultimately responsible for one person, ourselves. Aren't you glad you're not responsible for me? You're not going to be held accountable for the things I do. Amen. <laughs> Aren't you glad you're not going to be held accountable for the things that Francis does? (laughs) We're only accountable for our own selves. That's what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that we're only accountable for ourselves. And you are accountable not for how people respond to the gospel message, but you're simply accountable for the message, for what you do with the message. That's what really matters. There was a guy by the name of Bruce Olson. He was a Minnesota native who at 19 ventured into one of the most feared tribal areas of Colombia in Venezuela in order to translate the Bible and share the message. He was met with many obstacles at 19 years of age. He was met with many obstacles and he didn't know if if anyone was ever going to hear the message or ever going to listen to the message that he was bringing. But Olson, even despite being met with the obstacles, witnessed an overwhelming response to his actions, including eventually having a friendship with four Colombian presidents. The reality is, you do your part, and God is going to bless. Amen? You sow the seed, and God will give the increase. And it may not even be something that you see. You may not even see the results of your actions. It may be someone else who sees the results of your actions. But you remain faithful and you keep planting the seed and God will bring the harvest one day. Number three, we trust God also in the uncertainty of the tempest. 
In chapter 27, verse 1 through chapter 28, verse 6, we see that Paul is caught in the middle of a shipwreck. They're finally sailing out to sea, going to Rome. And Paul warns them, he has this inclination from the Holy Spirit, warning him that there are going to be, there's going to be troubled waters ahead. And, and he's warning the Roman officials there, listen, you need to set a course going somewhere else. This course that you're going is going to be led with, by, met by disaster. And they thought, oh, who is this Jewish guy thinking he knows everything? Just, just be quiet and sit down over there. You're the prisoner, we're the people in charge. Just be quiet. So they didn't listen. And what happened? They were met with a big, severe storm that, that caused a shipwreck right in close to the island of Malta. And uh, because of this, they lost the entire cargo and they all had to swim to shore. Had they listened to Paul, had they listened to the Holy Spirit, they may not have been met with that. But just think about this. Think about being in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, my, my, my grandpa was a Navy vet. And he said that, uh, he said, uh, well, I made the mistake one time of saying, Grandpa, what boat were you on? Never say that to a Navy guy. He comes up and says, son, it's a ship. It's not a boat. <laughs> and so he was telling me being caught up in the Pacific, that, that sometimes the, 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 very, the bow of that ship would go and see nothing but air, but then come crashing down and see nothing but water. That, that ocean just throws even the largest of ships around like a rag doll. But uh, in the midst of this, Paul was in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And he was caught in the middle of the storm. He didn't know how it was going to end. All he could do is to trust God, that God's will would be done when caught in the storm of his life. You know, Simon Peter learned this message, and I think it's the same holds true for any and all of us. What do we normally do when storms come? We do just like Simon Peter did. You remember the story when Jesus came walking out on the water to Simon Peter and to the disciples? They initially thought it was a ghost. And Jesus, uh, he says to Jesus, says, Jesus, if, if that's really you, let me come out and walk with you. And Jesus says, well, come on. And notice that when Simon Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, everything was fine. But there was a storm raging. I mean, that's one of the details of that story we often miss. There was a storm raging while he was walking on water and Simon Peter began taking his eyes off of Jesus and putting it on the water. Maybe he felt a fish come and bump up against his foot or something. He felt the wind against his face. He looked at the storm instead of looking at Jesus. And what happened? The Bible says he began to sink. When he placed his eyes on the storm, he began to sink. And he said, Jesus, save me. And as soon as he put his eyes back on Jesus, guess what happened? He pulled them back up. So, when we're going through the storms of life, keep our eyes on Jesus. And it's just like I told the kids a while ago. Grayson and I were out there the other night when it was actually clear and no clouds in the sky, which was an amazing thing to see of its own self, uh, to, to see a clear, starry night. But we got this app and we were looking around and we found the planet Saturn. And you know what? Next to the planet Saturn, we found something that just blew my mind. And you can see it even with the unaided eye. If you look real close, if you can spot Saturn right now, if it's clear outside, go down and to the right just a little bit, and there's this blue looking, looks like egg yolk. It's real faint. You have to look real closely. But that's the middle of our own Milky Way galaxy. You think about that. We're all spinning around this center, this, which they say is, I don't know the measurements, I have to just trust them, 27 light years away. You think about that, if that's true, that's, that's a big universe, and that's just a galaxy we're talking about. 
And you think about that. We're one of many, many galaxies in the universe. And you stop and you think about this. As big as our universe is, God is even bigger than the universe. God knows each star by name. He knows each galaxy by name. He knows every grain of sand on planet Earth. He knows every rock on every distant planet. And so, let me ask you something. If we serve a God that big, how big really is our problem? How big is our problem really? If we serve a God who's going to help us, who's that big, who's that magnificent, what is our problem compared to a God like that? To say it's insignificant is in and of itself an overstatement. God is far bigger than any problem we have. Last but certainly not least, we also need to trust God with the uncertainty of our task. Paul had to just trust God's calling to do what God had called him to do. God was given a, uh, Paul was given a task to speak to the people in Jerusalem and eventually to the people in Rome. And we see in verses 10 and 11 that Christ told him to have courage. Let's go back to this passage of Scripture in verse 11. Look at the first thing he says. He says, be of good cheer. In other words, he's saying, Paul, have courage. Yeah, you're going to be met with a lot of things, but trust me, here I am, the risen Jesus, standing in front of you. Be of good cheer. Have courage. How do we have courage? It goes by placing our focus and attention on the God who saves. We focus on the attention of the Creator of the universe. The focus and attention on the Jesus who saved us and the Spirit who fills us. That's how we, we, we realize that our problems are small compared to this God. And secondly, he says, For you, as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness in Rome. So Christ gave the general orders of what he was to do and where he was to go. I read a story this past week of... Uh, of a situation where this person had felt like God had called them to do something. And they eventually failed at the task that they had set out to do. And the question is asked, well, did God really lead that person? And the person says, I really believed wholeheartedly that God is calling me to do this, yet it failed. What do we say to that? I say this, I think, sometimes, I think God's success is a lot different than the way we view success. Because God may have called you to do something, and in your eyes, and in other people's eyes, it may have been a failure, but God may have had you do something to reach one person that you may never know how you impacted. God may have put you in a certain situation to reach individuals that you may never know the impact. So I don't believe if you follow God that anything's ever really a failure because God is going to move you and place you and do things through you. Now you may look at the, the, the goal from your perspective and think that that's a failure, but if, if as long as you are doing what God has called you to do, you're never a failure, amen? Look at Ezekiel. He preached and he preached and he preached to the land of, uh, to, the, to the exiles in Babylon. And not many people responded to his message, but was Ezekiel a failure? Absolutely not. He was a success. Jesus, remember the story of Jesus? Remember, remember the story around the Sea of Galilee? He had fed the 5,000, and there were people who were flocking around him because they wanted a free meal. Then he started teaching some of the hard truths of the gospel, and probably 80% of the people who were following him left. <laughs> now let's be honest, 
I don't think Jesus would have been welcome in many churches because you know, a lot of times we want to see we want to see numbers, don't we? We want to see things like that. And, and you've been good to me here at Huntsville. I'm not saying that of you, but I'm just saying a lot of churches around America. If you don't see this quota by here or that quota by there, you're deemed a failure. Well, I, I don't believe that they would have thought Jesus was a success in, in, in that notion, would you? Would they? Because Jesus lost eighty percent of the crowd who was following him, and he eventually landed himself on a cross. Was Jesus a failure? Absolutely not. He fulfilled the Father's command. We see Jeremiah, who was the weeping prophet. He, uh, he often went out preaching the gospel. And to my knowledge, I don't think he had many converts, if any at all. If he did, it was only a few. Was Jeremiah a failure? Absolutely not. So what I'm trying to say to you is don't look at success in human terms because we have to look at it according to what God says and what God does. Because God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So when things don't make sense, trust in the God who has, who has called you to witness, who has called you to minister, who has called you to serve. And whether Huntsville Baptist Church in ten years becomes a mega church of a thousand people, or whether it stays the same size as it is today, if you are following God's direction, you are a success. Amen? Don't measure success by the size of a church. Don't measure, measure success by the number of congregants. Measure success by the obedience that we have in following God's call. And I think that's what the Scripture tells us. Let me close with this. A lot of times, we place our focus on ourselves rather than working together. And sometimes I think we place our focus on ourselves rather than listening to God's order for us. And such was the case with three elderly sisters. Now, listen, I'm not making fun with this story because half the time I go in a room and forgot why I went there. So I can't say a thing here. But there were three sisters, 92, 94, and 96, who lived in the same house. The 96-year-old sister told the other two sisters, I'm going to go upstairs to take a bath. So she goes upstairs and runs the water and puts one foot in and yells downstairs to the other two sisters saying, was I getting in or getting out of the bathtub? I don't remember. The 94-year-old sister says, my goodness, I can't believe her. So I'm going to go upstairs and make sure she takes a bath the way she needs to. So she goes up halfway up the stairs and she stops and yells to the 92-year-old sister says, was I going up the stairs or down the stairs? Well, the 92-year-old sister says, land sakes alive, what is wrong with those two girls? I, don't, I hope I never, never lose my sense of direction. I hope I never lose my memory like that. Knock on wood, that'll never happen. And the other two sisters said, are you coming up? She says, well, I will in a few moments. I've got to check to see who's knocking at the door. <laughs> Needless to say, had they worked together... <laughs> see some finger pointing going on over there. Had they worked together, I think they would have been able to come up with a successful solution a lot more than we would had they only worked uh, individually. The same is true for us. Trust God. No matter what happens, no matter what comes our way, keep your eyes focused on Christ. And that is what will deem whether we are success in life or whether we're in a failure. Be obedient to the calling that God has given you. Be obedient to what He is leading you to do. And if you do that, as the Scripture says, if God is for us, then no one can be against us. Amen? 
So with every head bowed and every eye closed, first and foremost, if you're here today, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to come and receive Him today before it's eternally too late. You may not have another opportunity to make things right with Him. So if you don't know Him as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to come and, and, and receive Him today. Maybe you're, you're facing your own storms in life today. Maybe you have your own uncertainties that are taking place. And maybe you just need to come down to this altar and lay whatever that is down on the altar of His grace, saying, Lord, I can't handle this, but I know you can. I'm just going to focus upon you. I'm not going to focus on this storm. I'm not going to focus on this trial, but I'm just going to focus on you. And maybe you need to lay down that uncertainty today. Maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry of this church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and your life, we just encourage you to come and respond to the will of the Holy Spirit. The kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you as you are a God who holds all stars in place. You fix the direction of the planets. You fix the galaxies and set them in motion. You've created the universe and everything within it. And what an amazing thing to think that you, the same God that's done all of that, has this love and compassion for us. That if we would just simply respond and ask you into our heart and into our lives that you, the God of all creation, would come into our lives and receive us as one of your own. Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you would have your will and your way in this time of invitation. Maybe there's someone here today who's going through a struggle of some sort. Maybe they're facing their own storms, their own uncertainties. We just ask, Lord, at this time that you would focus their attention upon you. To let them know, Lord, no matter what happens, as long as they're obedient to you, as long as they follow your direction and keep their eyes upon you, they will be successful in whatever they do. Lord, we thank you and we love you. And we thank you so much for loving us. Have your will your way again this time of invitation. In the name of Jesus, we ask all views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. is God? What is He like? How can we know? The answers you give to these questions will have a tremendous impact on your worship, discipleship, apologetics, and evangelism. Faulty ideas about God are permeating both the church and the culture. 
it's time to get back to the basics of understanding the existence and nature of the God who is. Marking the 25th year of this annual event, Southern Evangelical Seminary's National Conference on Christian Apologetics returns to Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, with an all-star lineup of some of the finest Christian minds in the world to explore this incredibly important topic. Join us October 12th through 13th, 2018 at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Among the 65 speakers at the event include Ravi Zacharias of RZIM, Josh McDowell of Josh McDowell Ministries, Chip Ingram of Living on the Edge, Gary Habermas of Liberty University, Natasha Crane, Richard Land, and many, many more. Ticket prices before August 1st are $75 for adults, $45 for students. After August 1st, the tickets go up to $85 for adults and $55 for regular price. Save an extra 5% per ticket when you register by May 1st. Group, homeschool, Christian school, and skeptic discounts are available. Call for details by dialing 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Once again, that's 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Or go to conference.ses.edu. The 25th anniversary of the National Conference on Christian Apologetics will be October 12th and 13th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hope to see you there.